and preparing to be here. And I had a message all prepared to speak here. And God had laid upon my heart, uh, and I'll probably bring out some of it as I do, but he changed it last night. Don't know why, but he did. Uh, but he does things like that. And I'm glad that he does. Amen, because he's in control. First of all, it's a joy to be with you. This is my first time being here. And uh, the reason why you can really know it's my first time being here, we got lost. <laughs> and uh, uh, I didn't go by the address. We went by the name. We looked up on the, uh, on the, uh, the what do you call it, the GPS or whatever. And, uh, and it took us to somewhere over here on 11th Street. Uh, yeah, we went to the Spanish church. And I said, no, I don't think this is it. And so uh, we had to look it up again. And we finally made it here. Uh, and uh, also, we, you know, we spent the night at a motel here in Rockford. And when I left home, I, you know, my car is always in the garage. So uh, guess what I didn't put in my car? A, 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 a snow brusher scraper. And I had, and we thought, oh, it's just a little bit of snow. We'll just brush it off the car. And then we saw the ice. So I said, I'm glad that I didn't decide to drive here from Zion, Illinois this morning, but that I came the night before. For those of you that Praise don't God. know me, it's, uh, but God's been good. But before going any further, let me A little bit about my myself. A lovely wife of 51 my years. My whole family, we all and, came to uh, the Lord. Honey, would you stand up and I was nine years of age. By the age of 10, I started preaching the gospel on the street corners of Chicago. I was also becoming known as a little prophet as people came from all across the United States, ministers and evangelists. They would come to my home church and they would come to my pastor. And he said, God sent us here because, because you have a word for us. And he said, no, I don't. He said, but you be in service tonight. There's a little boy that does. And God would use me to stand before these men of God and tell them where they've been, where they are, and where they were going. It was years later, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, why did you use me in such a manner as a child? And he said to me, because many of the men that came from, were men who were, had a great calling on their life. But because of what they had gone through, they became bitter. They became hard. And they were not willing to accept counsel from another man of God. He said, I had to have them stand in front of a child. And when that child began to tell them about their lives, they knew it was God. Yes. Many of those men went on to become mighty men of God, carriers of the word. But it took a child. And one of the things I praise God is that he took this child and used him for his glory. But one of the things, the church that I grew up in, was not, it, was, it wasn't unusual for a, a, a child of 9, 10, 11, bring forth messages in tongues and interpretation. See, one of the biggest problems we have in the church is that when we minister to children, we turn it as, as a babysitting club. And if God didn't call us to have a babysitting club, he called us to teach them and rear them up in the things of God. One of the joys I get to, whenever I'm at my home church in Cross, at Cross Tabernacle is to know what's going on in the children's department. The children are the ones, the, the teenagers are the ones that lead the worship. The children often will form fire, what we call fire tunnels, and they'll, they'll stand on each side. And, and as people go, as the other children go through, they lay hands on them. And you, you'll find children that are being healed and set free. Children are bringing forth messages in tongues and interpretation. How can that be? Because they're taught that they are called of God, just as you and I are called of God. Amen. Come on now. God desires to do a work in his church. I'll tell you, we have yet to experience the greatness of our God, but we're going to. Come on now. I mean, our, church, our, our pastor on uh, what often, a Sunday night was, was a, that was a night. 
on Sunday night, our pastor would call the young people forward. Because you see, we would run about 400 on Sunday morning, but Sunday night we would have upwards of six, 700 people that came and they would bring those that were deaf, those that were blind, those that were dumb, those that, that were in wheelchairs. And our young people would stand up and start calling out the different infirmities, laying hands on them, and God instantly healed them. This is Pentecost. And this is what God wants to awaken within the church once again today. Amen. Now, I might get a little bit loud. I might get a little bit radical, but that's, that's, all, right. that's all right. Thank you, my sister. That's all right. Amen. Uh, I thank God. You see, 12 years ago, I laid in a hospital bed dying. And... And during that time, I had all the powers of hell that came against me to take me out. That night, the only one in that room with me was my wife. And she interceded all night long. And it was at the break of dawn that all of a sudden I saw a bright light. And I knew that I made it. That morning, a young pastor, a Hispanic pastor whom I had been mentoring, he came to me and he said, Pastor, God had me up all night long praying for you. And God sent me to tell you your greatest days are still ahead of you. That afternoon, another young pastor that I had been mentoring, he's my, one of my sons in the, in the Lord, he's now pastoring up in uh, Wyoming. And he came to me that afternoon he said, Pastor, God had me up all night long praying for you. And he sent me to tell you your greatest days are still ahead of you. And that was 12 years ago when I, I was 62 years of age at the time. And I, I thought, this is crazy. You know, I'm at the point where it's, everybody tells me I'm supposed to retire. But God said, mm-hmm. this is your time to refire. Come on now. Since that time to this time, I have reached more people for the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ than my previous 40 years of ministry. My greatest days are still ahead of me. This year I'll be 75 years of age. And I'll tell you one thing. I thank God for the strength that he gives me every day to be able to stand behind a pulpit and preach. One of the joys I had was preaching in the Philippines to a group of pastors and their church. There were about 500 that were present in an outdoor service. And after the service, we had a powerful service. Matter of fact, I had, uh, uh, we had about 20, 20 different pastors that were there with their congregations. And, and many of them were from the Catholic, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the Methodist, Pentecostal, Baptist. When I made the altar call, the first ones to run to the altar were the pastors. By the time we got done at that altar, every one of them were speaking in tongues. The glory of God came down. But on the way home, this one pastor, he looked at me, he's driving home, he says, he says, Pastor, you really stir us up. I said, oh, really? Wonderful. I'm thinking, praise God. Yes, he says, to see an old man like you preach that way really stirs us up. I said, thank you. <laughs> it's God. I love him. I praise him. I'm reading from the book of Amos this morning. Chapter 9, verse 13. It's one of those books that we hardly ever get around to. And those of you that are Physically able, would you please stand as we give honor to the reading of my Father's word? It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Come on now. Now let me read that from the message translation. Yes, indeed, 
It won't be long now. God's decree. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountain and hills. My Father, my King, my Savior, my Redeemer, I praise you for the joy and the privilege that is mine to speak your word. But now I pray, oh God, that you'll take this nothing and that you'll use it for your glory. Anoint me, empower me with your Holy Spirit, for without it I am nothing. Father, speak to your people today. Father, let the spirit of revival, Lord God, be stirred up within them. Lord God, breathe upon the embers and let fire be ignited within our bodies. Father, right now I bind every power and principality that's not of God. And right now I command in Jesus' name that every lying spirit, every doubting spirit, Father, every spirit of fear, leave this house and that your Holy Spirit have his way today. For I ask it in the name that's above every other name to whom I give praise, honor, and glory forever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Now before you sit down, I do this everywhere I go. Would you turn to your neighbor and would you make this confession? It's going to be a bad day for the devil. Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can't be seated. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Whew. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. Everything will be happening at once. And everywhere you look, blessings, blessings like the wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I want you to take a moment and let this prophecy begin to sink deep into your spirit. We are living in a world where everywhere you look, you see despair, you see hopelessness, you see sickness, you see disease. You see turmoil, see hatred exposed as it's never been exposed as today. Yet these verses proclaim blessings. Blessings in the home. Blessings in the workplace. Blessings in the schools, in the elementary, the junior high, the high schools and the university. Blessings. In the church, blessings. I'll tell you something. The demons of hell hate our president, hates those in government, hates those who stand behind the pulpit. But let me tell you something. I got a God who just loves, and what he loves to do is he loves to bless his people. But the problem is many times the people don't allow him to do that. See, God the Holy Ghost has been speaking to me and saying, there is coming a great awakening to the heart of this nation that I love. I find it interesting. There was a, uh, recently, that was placed on the internet, President Trump's pronouncing a blessing on the nation. And it really, really... He says, where he really brought out the, the one point, he said, there's coming a, a great awakening in this nation. And I thought, wow, come on. He's hitting it right on the nail. There's coming a great awakening to the heart of this nation. God says, God speaking to me, he said, I abhor the sins of this land, for it has indeed become as Sodom and Gomorrah, with the exception that I have found in this land a remnant 
that have not bowed down to the gods which many have accepted. I thank God that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the things that's going on, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of everything, God says, I have a remnant. I've looked and I found a remnant that has not turned back. They have not gone to the left or to the right, but they've kept their eyes on me. He said, I have a remnant. And I thank God that there we still is a remnant. The second thing God, the Holy Spirit spoke to me was that we, the body of Christ, as well as the people of this nation, are about to enter into a time of great acceleration. He then directed me to the book of Amos, our opening verses. And Amos lived, understand, Amos, he lived in a, in a village in, by the name of Tekoa, which is about five miles south of Bethlehem. And it was at the edge of the wildest and emptiest desert in the world. In that desert, Amos became a man of God. You know, many times God has to take us to the desert, away from the sounds of the chaotic world, down to a place of preparation. And God took him there and listened to his voice, obeying his word. Amos began to speak on behalf of God. Amos was straightforward with his words. He told the people that because of their sin, they would experience God's judgment. He didn't sugarcoat his message. One of the problems we have in the pulpits today that is that the message of, of, of salvation, the message of, of repentance has been sugarcoated. The church has stopped preaching about the consequences of sin. The church has stopped preaching about the blood of Jesus Christ and the power that there is through the blood. They stopped talking about the cross and what took place at the cross. They have said we have to have a socially acceptable gospel. Well, Amos was one that didn't believe in that. He believed in preaching exactly what the word was that God was giving to him. The people who were once so proud and boastful, all of a sudden had nothing to boast about. No money, they had no economy, no buildings, no religion. The judgment had removed what they thought was the center of their lives. Do you see something happening here? Do you see the same scenario in our states, in our nation? Come on. One of the very first things that Satan wanted to do is to close the doors of the church. Amen. Come on. Second thing he wanted to do is cause a crash of our economy. He's done this. He, third thing he wanted to do was take the praise and the worship out of the sanctuary. And he displayed that so strongly in the state of California where he began to tell him, you cannot sing in church. You cannot worship. Come on. It's a scenario that repeats itself. Every time Satan wants to take over, these are the things that he works at. Shutting up the preachers. Shutting up the house of God. Shutting up the praise. Ruining the, con the economy. Our opening verse speaks of prophecy, a prophecy of blessing. Yet a prophecy, a judgment was spoken first in chapter five. And it goes into detail that what was the sin that brought about this judgment? Amos chapter five, verse 21 through 24, it says, I hate and despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now I think you can relate to this verse of scripture more as I read it to you from the message translation. It says, I can't stand your religious meetings. 
This is God speaking. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes and your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you actually sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Did anybody notice in these verses what the Holy Spirit vividly pointed out to me? The prophet Amos is not prophesying to the cities. He is not even prophesying to the nation. He's prophesying to the people of God. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Amos, the prophet speaks of the four sins of the cities of Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah, and Israel. Here in chapter 5, he is prophesying of the sins of the church and the priest. When revival broke out at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida, people from all over the world and here in the U.S. flocked to that revival. Each one hoping to get a hold of the glory that was so present in that place. As a result, many churches here in the United States started to experience a move of the Holy Spirit. As many pastors and their church boards came back from those services all fired up. Some churches even broke out into revival that lasted several weeks, some even to months. As a result, many churches in the, here in the United States started to experience a move of the Holy Spirit. Many of the churches adopted the music of that Brownsville revival. Many, I, I mean, I could go in all the churches and they're all singing, he's under my feet. Many were the women's ministries that got busy sewing and creating some banners that were hanging in the Brownsville Revival Church. They were getting the patterns and they were all sewing and hanging those banners in their churches. But eventually, these revivals died down. Many were the churches that end up splitting. Many were the pastors that were dismissed from their pastorate. As a result, many people became bitter towards revival. The office of the evangelist almost became non-existent as many churches and pastors closed their doors and pulpits, fearing that should revival break out again, it may cause another split in their church. Or as a pastor, there was a fear of being asked to leave if things became too radical. What happened? They're trying to duplicate what they saw and experienced without paying the cost that was paid to experience this awesome presence of God. You can duplicate the songs. You can duplicate the banners. You can even preach the same messages. But without paying the cost that they paid, you will never have what they have. The invitation. What was it that set Brownsville Assembly of God apart from all these other churches? The same thing which separates the churches today that say that they want an outpouring experience to those that are experiencing an outpouring on an ongoing basis. Back in 2008, God gave me a vision concerning First Assembly of God, Terre Haute, Indiana, which now carries the name Cross Tabernacle. I remember with great urgency, I went and visited with Pastor Keith Taylor, 
And I relate to him the vision that God gave me concerning First Assembly. Pastor Taylor was rocked by that vision. He said, I want you to preach this Sunday. And I want you to share that vision with the congregation. That following night, Sunday night, I stood in this pulpit and I preached a sermon entitled Fire on the Altar. The passage comes from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, where God tested Abraham's faith. And he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, whom you love so much, and I want you to go to Mount Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. The next morning, it says Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took all of his servants with him. And took also his son Isaac. And he chopped wood for a fire for the burnt offering. And he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey. The lad and I, we're going to go. We'll be back. And then he says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on Isaac's shoulders. So Isaac was not a little child as many view. He was already a young man. And he had him place the wood on his shoulders. While he himself, it says, he carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked along together. As I was reading this, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and made me take a good look at that. Abraham took the fire and the knife. The knife, he probably placed it in his sheath, but the fair fire he carried. And I began to look, ask God, what are you trying to tell me? And he had me go back and start studying. And I began to study, and I began to discover that, that whenever they were to have, go and do a burnt sacrifice, they had to take the fire from their camp. And they had to take that fire and that was the fire that they were to use when they were to do the sacrifice. So for three days, as they journeyed, Abraham had to keep that fire going. It had gone, if it had gone out, he would have had to go back to his camp and get the fire once again. Now, if that were me, and I knew that at the end of that journey, I was going to have to sacrifice my son. I think I would have been making a whole lot of trips back to the camp because the fire would keep going out. But Abraham kept the fire going every single night. He kept that fire going. He would not let it go out. Day and night, you see, Abraham became the keeper of the fire. He had to keep that fire going. I grew up in old-fashioned Pentecost. I grew up during the time of the tent revivals. I grew up during the time where the fire of God was so powerful. I remember our services so powerful. And all of a sudden, the back door bursted open as the firemen came into our church. Why? Because flames were coming out of the roof of our church. The neighbors called the fire department. And they came in, they looked up at the ceiling, didn't see nothing. They walked back out again. They came back in again, looked up at the ceiling. They walked back out again. The third time they came in, many of them dropped their gear and they went to the altar and they got saved. News got out and the next week we had a reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times who was sitting in the back of our church 
and he took a picture of our pastor while he was preaching. And when they developed the picture on, on, on that page in the Chicago Sun-Times, there was our pastor preaching and above his head was a ball of fire. Many of those of my generation experienced that fire. We were the keepers of the fire. But many of us, we dropped the ball and we didn't keep that fire going. We didn't keep it going. We didn't keep Pentecost going. We sat to the side as many other things concerning our worship was changed and we said nothing. God is now beginning to blow on the embers of, thy, of my generation and saying, it's time to refire. I'm not done yet. Come on now. I shared that night the vision that God gave me with the congregation at First Assembly. And what fire followed was a demonstration of fire. What was the sermon that God gave me? God told me this. He said, tell them. He said that the day is coming quickly. He says, when your altars will be on fire and people will come and they will take the fire from your altar and they'll take it back to their churches and people will ask, where did you get such a fire? Where did you get that? And they'll say, from that church, from the altar of that church. And as I, as I preached that, God began to tell me, he says, I'm going to light up churches across this nation where the fire of God is going to pee upon these altars and people will come from the north, south, east, and west and they'll come to those altars and they'll experience this fire. I believe that we have entered into the time where that fire is about to come in a way such as we've never seen. I want you to understand that I preached that sermon, but the initial outpouring didn't begin until 2010, two years later, and it continues on to this very day. Day after day, month after month, and year after year, that fire is going on in that church. What is it that sets Brownsville revival and the Terror Haute outpouring apart from the other moves of God? What is it that causes such churches to have such an impact that transcends denominations, race, ethnicity, and reaches across the borders to touch nations? Some would say, well, it's because they have such large facilities with a large congregation with deep pockets to support a continuous revival. No, 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 that's not it. Others would say, well, it's because they have an awesome worship team that attracts people. Come on. John the Baptist was out in the desert preaching, and people came out in the desert to hear him. And it wasn't because he had an awesome worship team. It wasn't because he had air conditioning. Come on. Again, that answer is no. And many would say, well, the answer is obvious. It's because of the prayer teams that are in those churches. And that I, to that I would say you're partially right. But that's not the main reason. One of the, my sons in the ministry asked me a question some years back. He said, Papa, what is the greatest lesson you have learned in your years of ministry? I didn't have to think hard or long about that answer. I answered him right away. It's the same answer that set Brownsville and the many churches that have been experiencing outpouring, not for weeks or months, but for years. And that word is obedience. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 says obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. 
for two and a half years out of obedience, Brownsville Assembly canceled all Sunday night meetings and called the church to spend those nights in the church sanctuary seeking the face of God. After a year and a half of Sunday night prayer, they entered several days a week of intense prayer and intercession, crying out to God. Not only prayed, but they had classes on prayer, preparing the church to minister to those who were lost and hungry for God. And all during the years of revival, that church was bathed in saturating prayer and they didn't let up once revival came they intensified in their prayer i don't know how many have ever went to brownsville revival but i know when we went we got there at 4 30 in the morning and we were the fifth people in line by the time six o'clock rolled around the lion, the line stretched all the way around that parking lot and down the street. And I thought, my God, people are waiting in the sun in Florida for hours upon hours upon hours just to go to church. Keith Taylor became pastor First Assembly of God because of obedience. He was doing oh so good on the evangelistic field. And then came the call to pastor first assembly of God. And he says, God, you've got the wrong person. I'm an evangelist, Lord. I'm not a pastor. And he argued with God. Mistake number one. Never argue with God. You're not going to win the argument. And finally, he said, yes, Lord. And once he became pastor, God gave him further instructions. He said, Keith, I want you to go out and buy a lot of oil because you're going to need it. He said, okay, Lord. He said, God said, and I want you to be at the church at 4 a.m. on Sunday. At what, God? Is there a 4 a.m. on Sunday? And Lord, did you say Sundays, not just Sunday? Finally he said, yes, Lord. Obedience. At 4 a.m. every Sunday, Keith Taylor is at the church. And you'll see him with a bottle of oil, walking the property line, anointing it with oil. And then he goes into the church, and he'll not anoint with oil every doorpost. As you go into the church, and the doorpost to every room, every classroom. And then he goes into the sanctuary, and he anoints with oil every pew. Sometimes you've got to be careful when you go into that church because if you put your hand on the back of the pew, you may go. <laughs> and you know, Keith's been here. He anoints every single pew. He prays over every single one of them. Four o'clock in the morning. Lord, I'm glad you didn't call me to that. I want you to know that this is not a pattern for revival, but for Keith Taylor, it was a requirement. An act of obedience. Soon thereafter, others began to catch his vision, and the prayer room started filling up with intercessors. Different ministries started springing up in that church. A cry for hunger, for a move of God, despite the sacrifice, despite the cost, began to arise, and the focus of that church became obedience to the Father. 
Amos cried out, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretenses, your slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and your image making. I've had all I could take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? The prophet is prophesying to the church, and I can't help but ask, do you see this same prophecy relevant to the church today? Eugene H. Peterson, the author of the Message Bible Translation, says concerning this portion of Scripture and how it relates to the church today, he says, we're members of a society that's unfair economically, unashamed morally, unjust socially, and we've lived with it so long that we don't even see the ugliness. In 1914, Maria Woodworth Eder prophesied that in 100 years, an end-time revival would begin that would be far greater than what they were experiencing. Also in 1914, Seymour, William Seymour from Azusa Street, during the last year of the Azusa Street revival, he prophesied that in 100 years there would be an outpouring of God's Spirit and his Shekinah glory would be greater and more far-reaching than what was experienced at Azusa. Hear me, the year 2014, 100 years exactly from when this prophecy was prophesied. The month was January. There was a coming together of members of the fivefold ministry. They came from the different parts of this nation and from around the world to hear from God. And what took place was something far greater than what anyone expected. There was a shifting that took place in the heavenlies. As Tommy Welchell, who wasn't even scheduled to be there, God sent him there, he walked through the door. He began to tell what God had done at Azusa Street. He released an Azusa blessing on those gathered under the roof of that place. It was as if a Holy Ghost explosion took place. Unbeknownst to me and to those present, it was a commissioning to those gathered there to commence the fulfillment of the prophecies that were prophesied exactly 100 years earlier. From that, from that meeting, that gathering was birthed what is now called World for Jesus. First it was Philippines for Jesus, then Ireland for Jesus, then Bahamas for Jesus. Now they're looking at Scotland, Greece, Cuba, Taiwan, and the list keeps going on as many, many other countries saying, we want you to come over and share this also. But also what is important is that, that we are seeing an outpouring of revival sweeping in our nation. Satan's answer, lockdown. Mm -mm. But wait, there's more. The commissioning took place in the same state that the prophecies were spoken 100 years earlier, the state of Illinois. Hear me, God always blesses the place where the prophetical seed is planted. Can I tell you something's happening in California? Satan is doing everything in his power to stop them from having services, to stop them from having God move in their place. I want them to shut up, no even sing, don't worship, but they're gathered together on the beaches by the thousands to worship God. They've gathered underneath viaducts. They've gathered wherever they can to meet him once. I look at them and I see the church of old, old of the New Testament times. Many of them had to get in the caverns to go and worship God. They're saying, we'll go wherever God wants us to go, but we're going to have church. We're going to worship God. 
Why? Because the prophetical seed was planted in Los Angeles, California at a church called Azusa. If Illinois and the surrounding states are lands of prophetical promise and are to be the recipient of the most powerful move of God ever experienced, then why is there so much darkness? Because Satan is trying his best to keep the light from shining. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, 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 shine. Come on now. You are the light of the world. Hallelujah. Because Satan is working as hard as he can, because from the time of those prophecies became enacted back in January 2014 till this very day, Satan has targeted the heart of this nation. But let me tell you something else. I mean, wow. We talk about the gathering that took place here in Rochelle, Illinois in 2014 of the fivefold ministry. At the same exact time that we gathered here, there was a gathering that took place in Sacramento, California of the fivefold ministry. At that same time, there was a, there was a gathering that took place in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of a fivefold ministry coming together. And there was a, a gathering that took place at, at, in Virginia Beach, Virginia of the fivefold ministry coming together. And it experience the same thing we did from the north, the south, the east, the west, hallelujah, and our nation, God was bringing something, commencing something that no power in hell can be able to stop it. It is God's time, God's hour to move in the church. Come on now. Within these past six years, Satan has waged a fierce war as we have witnessed the passing of some of the most hell-damaging legislation across this land. Yeah. But can I tell you something? It's his last hurrah. I said, it's his last hurrah. Yeah. He knows this is the last stand. He knows it. My God is about to do something powerful. The trumpet has sounded. And the prophetical seed that was planted is ready to burst upon you with signs, wonders, and miracles such as has never been seen before. Amen. But the Father would have you to understand that to see a transformation take place in here requires on your part a walk of obedience. Yes. The power that is lacking in our church, the, the miracles, the signs and wonders that are lacking in the ministry, the glory that is missing is because of the of lack of obedience. The signs and wonders many have been looking for but cannot find all these things because of a failure to obey what God is speaking to his church. I believe in all my, with all my heart, all that's within me, that we are on the cusp, the very, very, very doorstep of the greatest and most powerful move of God that's ever been seen. Right now, one of the things Satan wants to do is for the people to begin to question the prophets. I'll tell you something. Don't question what God's been prophesying through his prophets because every single thing that they've been prophesying under the unction the power of the Holy Spirit is about to start taking place. Uh, my God has not given up on America. He has, he has a plan for America. He, this is the nation that God intends to use to bring revival to the nations. This is the nation that God has raised up in this hour for the nation of Israel to, be, to experience the glory of God. God's not done. But the question is, will we be willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. God is calling this church. I know your pastors are here. Not because they chose to be here. Because God, the Holy Spirit said, you're to be here. At this time, at this moment. Can I tell you what's going to happen in the next few years? What you're going to start seeing? You're going to see that there's not enough chairs in this house. Come on now. You're going to see where people will line outside waiting for chance to get in. 
God began to share something with me that I shared with Pastor Keith Taylor. And I'll be sharing at the, at the Road to Glory conference uh, that the power and the anointing that is coming is going to be so strong. Was it, uh, just a couple of years back at, at, at Northview Assembly of God, there was a, a the group, the prayer warriors gathered in the prayer room at 9.30 Sunday morning, right before service as they normally do. They gathered in the prayer room to start praying. Uh, but all of a sudden, the, the, the very very kind of glory of God came into that room. The pastor, he was in there, Pastor Randall, he had to crawl out of that room to start the Sunday morning service. Uh, him and a few musicians, but the other ones, uh, the, uh, the prayer warriors, the core prayer warriors could not move. They were in there. They held the morning service. They, they had altar call. They had dismissed. They went out to eat. Uh, he was sitting at home and his assistant pastor called me and says, you know, I, I'm going to go over and check the doors to see if they they locked it when they got done praying. He says, okay. And about a half hour later, he gets a call from, from his assistant pastor. He says, pastor, you got to get down here. He says, why? They're still praying. He said, they're still praying? He said, it's, all, it, it, it's already past two o'clock and they're still praying? He says, they're still praying, pastor. And, and it's something supernatural. You got to come. Pastor went. Him and the, uh, several board members went inside that, that prayer room, and the moment they got in, they were on the floor. They had to crawl out of the prayer room again to start the evening service. Uh, they went through the entire evening service, altar call and everything, and they were still in the prayer room praying. For over 12 hours, they were in the prayer room they were in the same position that they were when they started praying. Some of them were seated. Some of them were laid out on the floor, but they could not get up because the kabod, the glory of God was so heavy, they could not get up. They were seeing visions of heaven. They were being shown things that God was about to do. I'm looking and God says that what they experienced in that prayer room, we're going to see come into the church. There are going to be people who are not going to be able to leave the sanctuary, and many that do, they're going to be carried out of the sanctuary because the glory will be so strong and so great. He said, many are the churches that they will be open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and they, their, their intercessors are there praying. They will be welcoming people coming in at all hours of the night. People will be coming out of the bars and walk going straight to the church, to the altar. People will be coming out of the dance halls, the casinos, and they'll be coming right to the church to accept Jesus Christ and be set free. This is what is coming. Pentecost in a matter such as not ever been seen before. An outpouring. But the question is today, are you going to say, yes, God, I want that for this church. I want this for my life. I want this for my family. I want to see the glory of God. Yes. And this morning, I invite you to come around these altars and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Take, use me. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm looking to the day where there will not be a sickness in church. There will not be a disease in church. Come on now. I mean, uh, people will just come. Uh, my home church, that when, when I got saved at nine years, or ten, nine years of age, during those years we were there, they had a little room off to the side of the church. And in that room, that's where we stored all the crane, canes, all, all the, the crutches, all the wheelchairs, all the braces, all the things that people left behind after they got healed. I'm looking and God says, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. But are you going to be part of it? Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.